Hey everybody, welcome to the Canadian Job Search Podcast. My name is John Rubero and I will be your host. I'll be interviewing recruiters, hiring managers, and experts to help you land your next job sooner. Just a quick reminder to download your high converting resume template that's been proven to get you more job interviews at resumetemplate.canadianjobsearchacademy.com. And if this episode resonates with you, then remember to subscribe, comment, and share. Thank you and welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Canadian Job Search Podcast. My name is John Ribeiro, and today we've got a very special guest. He's an emotional intelligence expert, and I'm so looking forward to speaking with him, Jamel Lindo. Jamel Lindo is a, an emotional intelligence leadership coach, trainer, and speaker with over 11 years of diverse learning and development experience. This time, During this time, he's worked with thousands of professionals across Canada to help them level up through practical application of emotional intelligence and mindfulness-based strategies. Well, welcome to the show, Jamel. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. And it's and you and I, we've gone, you know, we, we've known each other over the years and I'm so happy that we finally, we we're finally starting, we we're finally sitting down to have this conversation to talk about emotional intelligence in the workplace. Cause I know this is one of the things that employers are looking for today. And one of the things that, you know, is actually going to help them just, you know, separate and, st- you know, stand out from the rest of the competition that's out there is being able to show this. So this is why I think this topic is incredibly timely, especially as we go through and we're now into the second year of the, this pandemic. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm very excited about this conversation with you. Same here, man. I'm, I can't wait to share, you know, what it is that I have to share. And I hope that your audience finds it valuable. Yeah. So, so let's get right in. Let's jump right into this. Jamel, what is exactly emotional intelligence? I know I saw it in one of your videos, but just for our audience members who are listening in, what is emotional intelligence? Yeah. So, Great question, great place to start uh, because there's a lot of disinformation about it. And so if I were to simplify it, what I would say is emotional intelligence is basically your ability to be smart about emotions, not just your emotions, but also the emotions of others. If I were to simplify it even more than that, I would say that emotional intelligence is simply people skills. That's all it is. Your ability to deal with people, you yourself, you're a person, everyone that you interact with is a person. What does that look like? And then if I were to step it up and and complicate it a little bit more, then I would say that emotional intelligence actually refers to, in the model that I use, 15 different skills that all tie in to your emotionality. So we won't go through all of them, but the take Mm -hmm. two that are critically important, we can say, number one, self-awareness, your ability to see yourself clearly and to recognize how you come across to others. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Why do you behave in certain ways, et cetera? And the next one being empathy, which is your ability to be mindful or to be aware of someone else's perspective and view. What is someone else thinking? What is someone else feeling? And how might that inform the way that you communicate and engage and deliver a message to them? Nice. So, and and so why are these important? Out of the, you know, you talked about 15 skills, self-awareness, number one, how do you get to self-awareness? What is one of two things that somebody could, you know, work on to, to get to this point? Cause I know self-awareness is incredibly important. It's also, uh, you know, part of just being mindful in terms of your job, but you know, how does somebody get there? How does somebody realize or not realize that they're actually self-aware? I think the first thing is to, you know, take a good hard look at yourself. It's about reflection and actually taking a moment to take stock. How am I actually showing up from moment to moment? So most of us in our day-to-day lives, we're so externalized and we're on this, 
you know, this, this, this rat race treadmill that never stops. So because mm-hmm. it never stops and we're constantly adding things to the task list, but never taking things off and we're getting, you know, better technology every day that's allowing us to do more. Well, we don't take that time that we save because we could do more through the technology. What do we do? We just end up doing even more, <laughs> right? So we're all very accelerated. We're always focused on the next thing. And what we don't do is stop, pause, and reflect, which is incredibly useful and helpful, especially now, given the pandemic, it's an incredibly emotional time. So the way that we access self-awareness is to start asking ourselves questions that force us to stop, pause, and truly inquire into what our experience is right now. The next step to that is when we're asking these questions to not ask why, because oftentimes we delude ourselves when we ask why, we start telling ourselves stories that are simply not true. A better question to ask in terms of self-reflection is what? What emotion is it that I'm feeling in this moment? Mm -hmm. What are the thoughts and stories that are driving my emotion? What is it that has compelled me to take that particular action, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it sounds easy, <laughs> but it's not. It's simple, but it's not easy. And that's the reflection exercise that helps us to become more aware and more in tune with how we're actually showing up as professionals, yeah. as leaders in our personal lives. The implications are everywhere. Yeah. And, and I guess this also leads into showing the empathetic side of yourself, right? Like if you're aware of yourself and what you're doing and what you're experiencing and what you're going through, it allows you to be more empathetic because you said empathetic is the other skill that, you know, you, you need to bring into the workplace today, especially in a remote environment like we're working today. Right. So how do you demonstrate some of that empathy? How do you bring that empathy across when you're in this global virtual environment like we are right now? We're, we're, on a, we're in a room, right? Like we're in a virtual room together. How, do, how, does, a, how does a candidate, how does somebody who's going to be walking in or an employer who's going to be hiring in, uh, an employee, what would they need to do to show that empathy? Like what would be one of those things that uh, you would recommend suggest? Well, I'll give you a few different viewpoints. Let's start with the candidate. So typically I work with leaders, executive leaders, but let's start with the candidate who's walking and maybe they're doing an interview. Maybe they're canvassing for a new role, et cetera. Empathy would be your ability to be able to take stock or to understand or to seek to understand the other person's view and perspective. And so if you're going in to be hired by someone, yes, they're interviewing you, but in some sense, you should also be interviewing them. Is this the right place for you? right? How do they prioritize, you know, organizational culture? Mm-hmm. How do they prioritize their, their people? What does their culture look in, and feel like? So they need to also have that mindset. Now, in terms of applying empathy di- directly, it would be seeking to understand what it is the other person is looking for, right? So I understand you're hiring for this role. Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about what it is you're looking for in this role. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about what some of the challenges are that you've seen from people who are occupying this role. What mm-hmm. have you seen from people who are successful? What have you seen from people who are, who are not successful? What has your experience been at the organization and why? How do you feel working at this organization and why? Mm. All of these are questions that gain insight into how the other person is experiencing the organization, which can help give you insight into how you may or may not experience the organization, but also just context in terms of whether or not it's the right fit for you. Yeah. 
No, and I love how you said that because it's one of the things I, I think candidates don't realize that they have is the power to be on the other side of the table, interview the organization and make sure that it's also a good match and a good fit for them. So thank you for that. And, and, and that's a great piece of information in terms of, you know, how do you show up, you know, really being inquisitive and being curious around what's happening on the other side of the table. Cause I think that's a, a big part of it. Cause I think from what I've seen, you know, candidates who walk into rooms are all, all about, you know, me, 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 in terms of this is for me, I need a job. I need this, I need that. Uh, and, and just having that, that empathy, that open-mindedness, that mindfulness of what's happening in the room is actually going to change everything. Let's I know start, I, let's actually sir, go ahead. That. There's yeah. one thing that you said there that was super interesting, right? The candidate goes in mm -hmm. and they're in this me, me, me. Mm -hmm. I want to get, I want the job. I, 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 I. So oftentimes if we're not aware of that, we have to think about number one, what kind of emotion does it create when I'm mm -hmm. going in there thinking about, I want this, I need that. It's all about me. Number one, I'm focused on myself. The other thing that that creates is it can create a sense of, um, a sense of insecurity. It can create a sense of anxiety and anxiousness. And so when you go into an interview and what you're conveying is anxiousness or anxiety or fear or concern, are you going to be able to project and bring yourself forward? If you're not able to be self-aware enough, number one, to recognize those emotions, and then number two, to be able to regulate those emotions, then you may not be answering the questions in a way that's going to be beneficial for you or for them on the other side. Mm. So noticing what emotional state I'm in right now and being able to regulate it will allow you to actually put your best foot forward. You'd mentioned something else that's important, this idea of curiosity. So empathy starts with being curious. It starts mm. with you not having the answer. It also starts with you not being self-absorbed. And so if you're self-absorbed, would, you, would it even occur to you to ask questions to gain the viewpoint of someone else? Or are you so overly concerned of how you're coming across that their viewpoint is outside of your scope of awareness? Yeah. This is where emotional intelligence becomes powerful. And I'm only talking about the interview process. Once yeah. you get on the other side, that's actually gonna be your differentiating skill. So let's talk about that. You talk about being on the other side. What are, as an employer, what is it that you need to express or bring forth as you're going through that interview process? As an employer? Yeah, as the employer on the other side who's interviewing the candidate. How do you show them that your organization is one that practices empathy and has, um, you know, the self-awareness of how to treat its employees? Because, you know, as an employee goes in, they're interviewing the employer to make sure that they're a good fit for the organization. What is the employer like? Number one, what are some of the, the top skills that employers are looking for? I know I saw that in one of your other videos as well. Um, what are they looking for? And then how do you what does an employer need to do in terms of conversation and bring that across the table to, to let the candidates know what's actually happening inside their organizations? Yeah, great question. So the first thing is, what are employers looking for? What are organizations mm -hmm. looking for? So the World Economic Forum, they did a future jobs report. This was as of 2020 moving forward. They listed top 10, top 10 skills to be successful in this ever-evolving, ever-changing digital landscape. And what they landed on was judgment and decision-making, complex problem-solving, cognitive flexibility, creative thinking and creativity or critical thinking, sorry, and creativity, which are all about your ability to be able to think. And the next one, the next five, 
are coordinating with others, emotional intelligence, people management, service orientation, and negotiation skills. Mm. And those are all about your ability to be able to deal with and manage people successfully. So this was as of the World Economic Forum, Future Jobs Support 2020 moving forward. Then we got hit by a pandemic. So what we're also looking for now is resilience, the ability to be able to deal with and manage stress, to bounce back from difficult, challenging situations, to be able to maintain optimism when you're not quite sure what's around the corner, to be able to deal with and manage conflict in a constructive way. So it's not that you never want to disagree. It's that when you do disagree, is it constructive? Is it going to help our team to be able to move forward, to be able to thrive? We're looking for people that are not going to create friction and toxicity within our cultures. We want people that are fluid, flexible in the way that they think, people that are able to build deep, meaningful relationships with those they work for, their clients, the list goes on. Now, the last few things that I mentioned are more specific to emotional intelligence, but ultimately those are the two main skills that most are looking for. So how do we test for that was your next question. Mm, yeah. Now, when, when a, an organization is really clear on their company culture and they've truly prioritized company culture, not that they've created all the posters, put it on the wall and nobody actually follows what those things mean. I mean, they've actually made it a living, breathing part of the way that they engage in work. When it's that real, um, it naturally finds its way through the interview process. And so even the way that they um, bring people through the interview process is designed from a place of considering all of their core values. Google does this in an exceptional, exceptional way. The kinds of questions they ask, they do scenario-based uh, situations. There are some companies that will interview you. And one of the interviews is an outing with, with the team that you're going to be a part of. Obviously, that's pre-COVID. It would be different now. <laughs> you can see how that all encapsulates um, their, their culture. So the reason why I'm saying this is because by the time you're interviewing someone, mm -hmm. that's not your moment necessarily. And it can be, but it's not necessarily the moment where now we have to reveal our culture. Our culture should be so alive that the interview process is a, is a part mm. of, of demonstrating and revealing what our culture is all about. Um, to answer the question a little bit differently, obviously the way that they treat you, the way that they speak to you is going to be a reflection of the company culture as well. Mm. No, and, and I like that. And, and I, I really liked how you explained, actually to understand for an organization, because one of, one of the things that I'm hearing, one of the things that I'm um, seeing throughout my interviews with organizations and, and leaders and recruiters inside those organizations is that, you know, th they're not, they're at a point where they're having challenges retaining talent, right? They're, ha they're having challenges, even bringing people through the recruiting cycle inside their organization. So having, having, you know, a very clear culture and, and this is part of where the candidate needs to do his, his research or their research or her, her research is really looking into, you know, what is the culture and are they living the culture? And I love how you express that, you know, really having that culture out there and, and just being a part of it. So as, as you, as we start to move forward and, you know, as we're in, in the midst of this pandemic, what do you feel is different? I know you touched on a few things already where, um, you know, you talked about 
you know, in, inside the pandemic, there's these additional skills. But if you could just elaborate on those a little bit more, what do candidates and or even organizations need to do to make sure that they have talent retained within their organizations with these new additional skills that they're looking for? Yeah, great question. So I'll, I'll approach this one from the leadership perspective, because mm. I'm working with executive leaders and so or senior leaders. And so really, this is a time where leaders really need to lean into empathy. Uh, that's the ability to be able to seek to understand somebody else's view and perspective. Um, interpersonal relationships is your ability to build deep, meaningful relationships and connections with others. And the reason why those two skills are, are critical, among many others, is because we don't have you know, the off conversation in the hallway when you're passing someone. We don't have the water cooler conversation. We don't have any of those things anymore where we can kind of just casually connect. And so you have to consciously create those opportunities in the virtual space. The other thing is it's an emotional time for, for everyone, right? And so we need to create a space where people can express some of what they're experiencing. Otherwise, all of that emotion just kind of ends up being the elephant in the room and it prevents us from truly being able to connect with and engage with the task at hand. So what we still need to do in order to deliver for our clients. So leaders have to be able to create the psychological safety for people to be able to share really where they're at and really what's happening for them in the midst of this entire situation. And by doing so, it helps to alleviate some of the pressure, some of the tensions in the air so that we can say, okay, this is the scenario. Leaders have to also express where, where they're at and, and what they're feeling and why. And once we can clear the air in that way and, and even make a habit of that, then we can say, yes, this is the reality of the situation. This is what we're facing. Here's what we're feeling. And here are still the things that we need to accomplish. Here are the demands that we still face. So mm. given the scenario situation, how can we still meet the needs of our clients? How can we still um, deliver for them? How can we still bring our best selves forward? And let's work together to really figure out what that looks like. So having those kinds of conversations is critical. In that description, I had mentioned one other skill, which is reality testing. Reality testing is the ability to speak or to recognize the difference between the objective reality and how I feel about something. Mm. And that's a little bit counterintuitive for most because most people say, are you telling me then, Jamel, that a part of emotional intelligence is not being emotional? And I'm saying, yes, absolutely. <laughs> a part of emotional intelligence is about seeing the difference between this is how I'm feeling and this is the reality of the situation and honoring both and using both as sources of information to be able to inform uh, how we move forward, and how we take action. So, so you've got a lot of great information there and, and thank you for sharing that. So from, so, so this has been, and, and I've actually had some conversations with some leaders in and around this, the, the, this, this thing around vulnerability, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and as a leader, and, and actually some of the candidates that are listening, some of the people listening to the show, some of them are already leaders in existing roles, and some of them are leaders who are looking for new roles. How do you show that vulnerability, but still maintain that position of influence in leadership? 
Because I, I think that's an interesting and I'd love for you just to explain that or, or just explore that, especially for a lot of the candidates, you know, a lot of the audience members that are listening to this, um, you know, are in different countries. You know, this podcast is out in 107 countries. So there are, you know, some of them are this is a new and foreign thought to them. So if you could just expand and explore that a little bit, I'd love for you to just to get your perspective. How do you show that vulnerability, but still have that influence and leadership? Yes. And how do you how do you bring that across? Yeah. The key is not to abandon your responsibility as a leader. You mm. can be unsure, you can be uncertain, you can be stressed, you can be frustrated, you can be angry. But you still have a responsibility as a leader and we still need to move towards something even if there isn't absolute clarity and we still need to have confidence that you're still committed, that you're still bought in to moving us forward. That's the key. So yes, this is what I'm feeling. Yes, this is what you're feeling. Yes, this is the reality of the difficulty of the situation. And this is still our responsibility. And this is still our commitment to the client. And this is still my commitment to you. What can we do? So I'm being vulnerable by sharing genuinely where I'm at. There's some authenticity there. Mm -hmm. But I'm also saying this is still what we need to accomplish. How can we do that? If I only express my vulnerability and I abandon my post or my responsibilities, then I've waved the, the white flag <laughs> and there's, there's no one to follow anyways because I'm, I basically <laughs> checked out. So it's just striking a balance between those two things. Yeah. And, 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 and I love how you explain that. And, and I think there, there definitely has to be that balance with leaders inside of organizations, especially with leaders who want to go into organizations today, right? Like for leaders who need to think differently about the way they're leading. And if they're not changing, and, and I think what I've seen through some of the, the work that you've done is if they're not changing, it's going to impact the organization and, you know, essentially the bottom line of the organization as well, because there's a lot of things they will not be able to do in terms of retention, in terms of keeping good company culture, in terms of, you know, essentially servicing their clients if they don't have this emotional intelligence behind them to move forward and, and to take care of people that way. Absolutely. So, so outside of that, is there, is there anything else, you know, as a, as an emotional intelligent expert, is there anything else that you're seeing today that's really standing out that's not working or, or working incredibly well? Yeah, I think that there are things on both sides of those spectrums. And so the, one of the main challenges is, and, and this is for when, once you have acquired the job, especially if you haven't had the full experience virtually yet, is to make sure you, you set boundaries between mm. your work life and home life. This is something that we're all talking about, but it's not something that we're actually doing and practicing. To say that, you know, work starts and ends here, and this is where my personal life begins. What's happening now is we're waking up, we're checking our email, right? We're checking our email, responding to email and engaging in work throughout the entire workday. And because all of these things are happening in the same physical space, once the work shift officially ends, we're still receiving email. So we're still kind of checking them and maybe we're also responding to them. And then we're also doing that, you know, before we go to sleep. So what ends up happening is it, your week feels like one long work day. It doesn't mm. ever feel 
like you're truly off. So a simple strategy for that is number one, make sure that no matter how small your place is, that if you're working from home, that your workspace is separate from your everything else space. And that could even be directional. It can be, hey, if your place is that small or if it's just a room, it can mean, hey, when I'm facing this way, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing work and it looks different. It feels different. When I'm facing this way, it's my time. It's personal time. Literally, a small shift like that can help make the distinction between work and personal slash home. Um, but really setting those boundaries and guidelines, things like not replying from email up into a certain time, even in the mornings, not checking email up into a certain time, you know, auto reply messages to let people know that you won't be responding until the following day. Um, things like that really help mm. us to maintain, maintain the balance. So I would say that that's one of the, one of the biggest trends. The other one is we don't get the same kind of renewal that you would get throughout a regular working day. When I say renewal, I mean activities that allow you to kind of unplug a little bit, uh, recharge, uh, connect with people. Those opportunities are simply not there. What you have is a series of Zoom meetings that are back to back to back to back to back that are all, for the most part, very work-related. And so we have to be intentional about creating those moments of renewal, mostly outside of the work schedule. Um, but we also have to work on creating um, little spaces, little pockets, little breathers while you're actually working. So let's talk about why you're actually working and what that looks like. Having 15 minute blocks between meetings is huge. Giving yourself an opportunity to really transition from meeting to meeting, to close off what you did in the last meeting and to mm. pivot and to prepare and to realign yourself to the next meeting. Sometimes to literally get up and take a walk around and then come back to break the day up because so many leaders are working back to back to back Zoom calls all day long. And by the end of their workday, they, they're Zoomed out. It's Zoom fatigue. It's not sustainable. So we have to create those pockets of renewal in some way, shape or form. Now let's pivot to outside, outside of work, because we're not getting all of that engagement and stimulation of a physical, social, interaction, you have to intentionally create renewal activities for you to be able to recharge in whatever way um, that will help you. Okay. Now for me personally, what, what renews me, what, what, you know, fills my battery, what recharges me is meditation. And so I meditate once in the morning, once at night, also running. So exercise really helps me to unplug in and unwind and to recharge my batteries. Also, you know, getting out into nature helps me to be able to do that. You know, I, I told you before this that I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. So I made a point to make sure that I got out onto my motorcycle because I know that that helps me to renew and recharge. So many of us are not substituting the renewal that we need to accommodate for the additional stress of working through a pandemic. So the balance mm -hmm. is off kilter and our stress buckets are up to here and we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling overworked and we're feeling like we've really hit the limit, or as many are putting it, we've hit the pandemic wall. So mm. having those renewal strategies are absolutely critical. I'm going to say one thing, and I know this is a lot, but this is important because this is what I'm facing every single day. The next thing is that we really need to be mindful of how we consume information, and we need to understand the difference between signal and noise. What do I mean when I say that? We need to be responsible 
in the sense that you need to be well advised and informed in terms of what you need to do as a result of COVID. Mm-hmm. Do I need to stay at home? Where can I go? Where can I not go? What's acceptable? What's appropriate? What's not? That information is, is signal. That's important. That's pertinent for you to know. And then there's noise, which is really information that you don't need to know. Do you need to know every single day what every single COVID number and death and fatality and when this vaccine didn't arrive and that vaccine did arrive? And do we need all of those nuances and details? And do we need to be plugged into it 24-7? I mean, if information could kill you, I think this would do it, honestly. <laughs> so we need to be responsible in the way that we consume information about the pandemic because many of us are consuming way too much of it and is raising our stress levels exceptionally. And we're not substituting that stress with some of those renewal activities that I was telling you before, but we're also not recognizing that most of the COVID information that we're consuming is unnecessary. We don't Mm. need it. You only need a, a small amount of information. You only need to be well enough advised to know what to do and what not to do. Anything outside of that is excess. So, monitoring that being mindful of that is critical yeah and, and i love that signal versus noise it's 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 one that i preach as well get the information you need but don't sit there and don't live in that in that pool of information constantly drowning no 100 percent. there's so much rich information here jamel thank you for you know sharing and, and i love the strategy piece and actually i'll share a quick strategy as well one of the things i started doing because I know with the pandemic, it was a big struggle to separate between my work week and my weekends. So um, I ended up creating a space in my home where I set up a station and I set up a desk and everything. And then I bring it down on Friday. And then on Monday morning, I put it back up. And then this way it starts to separate. But no, the, just even the slight shift. And, and I loved how you said that, you know, shifting from just directional in terms of where you're sitting what you're facing and what you're not facing can separate your workspace as well. So thank you for that. And then and that's, there's a lot of good NLP work in there. So thank you for sharing that stuff. Um, Jamal, you know, as we start to wrap up this podcast, um, if people wanted to get more information about you and, you know, just wanted to learn about you, where could they go? Yeah. The best, the best place to go is my website, which is jamellindo.com. That's J A M E L L E. L-I-N-D-O.com. All my socials are on there. I love connecting with like-minded people. You can find my LinkedIn, my Instagram, my Facebook all on there. But most importantly, there are two key resources that you'll find on there as Mm. well. One is a self-awareness 30-day accelerator workbook, which is basically the starting point for emotional intelligence. It's what I use for all of my paying clients. I give the same resources away to people who just want to start the journey. It will walk you through and explain how you can start to grow your self-awareness and build that reflection that I spoke about earlier on. And the the next thing that I have on there is a seven-minute body awareness mindfulness meditation. And that's an incredibly helpful tool, probably one of the most helpful tools in terms of the clients that I've been working with because it helps to ground us, it helps to center us, it helps us to be able to unplug and to recharge and to regain mental, emotional balance and control. It's a seven minute process. My recommendation is once in the morning, once at night. And I can guarantee you that if you do that consistent practice in 30 days, you will feel like a new person. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I've even listened to your meditation uh, earlier on when you were first uh, putting it together. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely a strong recommend. I'll make sure that I include the link to your website as well. And who doesn't love free, you know, not just free resources, but resources that are going to really make a difference. So uh, I'll definitely include that as part of the show notes, a link to your website with those resources. And Jamel, thank you again for being a part of the show. And thank you for sharing your insights and your expertise expertise with all of us and really, you know, showing us what we need to do to, to stand out in today's you know, job market as a, as a candidate, but also as a leader. Right. And I, and I love how you touched on that. You're more than welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, everybody. So that is it for this episode of the Canadian Job Search Podcast. Wishing you all a great one. Have a great day. Take care.